Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, when a Valentine's Day romance turns into a serious relationship, conversations about hearts and flowers evolve into money and finance. We have advice on what to talk about and when, and how to approach this potentially touchy subject. Also coming up this morning, despite many risks for investors, the digital economy is here to stay. So how can we take advantage of these game-changing technologies while avoiding the pitfalls? And happening around town, we get a preview of Escanaba in the Moonlight, the latest community theater production of the Fort Finley Playhouse. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. If you are looking for a reason to celebrate, it is National Gumdrop Day today. It is National Hippo Day. National I Want Butterscotch Day. Uh, it is Singles Awareness Day. Yesterday, of course, Valentine's Day. So today, we remember those who are single, or still single, after Valentine's Day. It is Susan B. Anthony Day, and today is Remember the Main Day. It was on this date. In 1898, 260 crew members were killed when the U.S. battleship Maine exploded in the harbor at Havana, Cuba. The unexplained blast increased tensions between the U.S. and Spain and eventually led to the Spanish-American War. The event spawned the cry, Remember the Main. So it's Remember the Main Day. And... If you didn't already know this, and I think a lot of people know this because it's pretty common knowledge among local history buffs, the Hancock Historical Museum has in its collection the bathtub from the USS Maine. (laughs) The captain's bathtub from the USS Maine, the Hancock Historical Museum. The story of how it ended up here is a bit incomplete, but... But we have the bathtub from the USS Maine, and uh, it is actually on display. I think it is uh, one of the uh, new exhibits of 2022, (laughs) the Hancock Historical Museum. So, you want to remember the Maine today, head to the Hancock Historical Museum, and they can uh, help you out there. (laughs) So, this is kind of interesting. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started Legislation introduced earlier this month by a pair of congressional Democrats would ban would ban legacy admissions at colleges and universities. It is a practice that is very common, especially at elite schools like Ivy League schools. But under the measure put forward by Representative Jamal Bowman of New York and Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Colleges and universities that participate in federal student aid programs would be barred from giving admissions preference to applicants with legacy status, meaning there's a parent that attended the school or several generations of families attended a school Uh, donor status. You know, grandpa put his name on this building. And so you've got to accept me as a student. That would be prohibited um the lawmakers contend that legacy and donor admission preferences largely benefit students who are rich no kidding (laughs) uh and 
largely benefit those who have connections. You've got a hook, uh, and that's what gets you into school. And uh, Senator uh, Merkley said the legislation is meant to level the playing field, particularly for minority and first-generation students. Now, there is a counter-argument here. Those who support legacy admission advantages say it can help increase a school's ability to award financial assistance to low-income students. That the donations that legacy families give to universities to get their kids into college are used to fund scholarships for those who don't have such a hook. So it's a give and take. Uh, All of this comes as another preferential aspect of college admissions. Affirmative action is under fire. The Supreme Court uh, set to hear a a challenge of that practice. Uh, So session so it's kind of interesting to see what happens with this legislation again it was introduced earlier this month so some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories the first things you need to know this morning item number two here the la rams after winning the super bowl on sunday obviously going to have a, a big parade right because that's what they do uh every year And LeBron James took to Twitter to suggest that the NFL team's victory parade should also include his L.A. Lakers and the L.A. Dodgers as well, because neither of those two champions from 2020 got a parade because of the pandemic. So he wants an all-out affair with not just the Rams, but also the Lakers and the Dodgers. Uh, King James tweeted, quote, we Dodgers and Rams should all do a joint parade together with a live concert afterwards to end it. City of Champions, he tweeted. Although the Rams have scheduled their parade for tomorrow. uh, The Lakers are playing the Utah Jazz tomorrow, so that probably won't work out (laughs) unless they delay the uh, Rams parade. But it is currently scheduled for Wednesday. Um, a joint parade would be doable if they push it back to Thursday because the Lakers will have started the All-Star break. Obviously, Major League Baseball has not yet started spring training, so that's not an issue. And by the way, the players are locked out amid ongoing contract negotiations with the league, so I don't know if that throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing. Can the players even appear... Well, I guess they would be free to appear. I, they probably wouldn't be able to wear their uniforms, I wouldn't, wouldn't think. If they're locked out, they probably uh, can't wear their uniforms. I suppose they could buy Dodgers t-shirts and they could all wear, wear those. But uh, in any event, some have criticized the idea since the Lakers and Dodgers won their championships two years ago. Um, with it also being noted, the Lakers currently ranked ninth in the Western Conference of the NBA. So they are not on a championship track. Uh, And the Dodgers most recently lost in the National League Championship Series to the Atlanta Braves, who uh, went on to win the World Series this past year. So, uh, But I think there's a point there. They didn't get a parade for the Dodgers. They didn't get a parade for the Lakers. You're going to have a parade for the Rams. Why not make it a huge deal And honor all of the teams. You put the Rams first, obviously, because they're the most recent ones. But, you know, why not let the uh, Lakers and Dodgers have their day? I don't know. 
I don't think it's that big of a deal, but uh, apparently some are against it. We'll see. If you want to avoid catching a cold this season, we are still in cold and flu season. And if you want to uh, improve your chances of avoiding the seasonal bug, get a little bit more sleep. There's a story I saw on the uh, newswires that your immune system can be affected by all sorts of things, including how much sleep you get. Study finds that your chances of developing a cold triple, triple, if you sleep less than seven hours a night. A separate but similar study found that sleep efficiency, or how much time is spent asleep while in bed, is even more important to immune system function than overall hours spent sleeping. So how well you sleep. Researchers say participants in this study with less than 92% efficiency were five and a half times more likely to develop a cold than those with 98% or more efficiency. Um, Data from another study painted an even more serious picture, finding that people who slept less than seven hours per night suffered an increased risk of death from all causes. As opposed, and I love the way they always word those those things. When they put those studies in and they say, your risk of death increases. Wait a minute. I thought everybody's risk of death was 100%. Ultimately, isn't, isn't our risk of death 100%? How do you increase your risk of death by doing this, that, or the other thing? But they say your risk of, of death from all causes uh, is uh, increased if you get less than seven, hour, uh, seven hours of sleep. CDC says 35% of the American population fails to get adequate rest. So apparently if you get enough sleep, you'll never die. That's what they're saying. (laughs) Of course, if you're sleeping all the time, what's the difference? And a couple of other items here. The first things that you need to know this morning as you get up and head out the door. I know we don't really have to deal with morning rush hour Uh, traffic so much i mean i know there are certain places in the city that are congested in the morning congested all day for that matter certain intersections and places and so on but for the most part we really don't have to worry about you know hour-long traffic jams or having to leave the house you know 45 minutes ahead of ahead of time so that you can avoid the the morning rush but this is kind of interesting nonetheless the tom-tom traffic index of 2021 uh, do you remember TomToms, the uh, GPS uh, TomToms? Anyway, the uh, TomTom traffic index 2021 shows that the pandemic has not killed rush hour. It has just spread the traffic out throughout the day. So rush hour is a little different now than what it used to be in uh, America's cities. The rise of home offices and flexible work hours, flexible work schedules, means there are fewer cars on the road or there were fewer cars on the road last year during traditional peak times, particularly during the morning commute. But in some cities, there is a new late morning rush hour developing around 11 a.m. And the evening rush hour now begins earlier, around 3 or 4 p.m. instead of the traditional 5 o'clock. Uh, these pandemic-driven changes vary by city, often depending on what city's COVID restrictions are in place, and the nature of the city's workforce. Some cities are more conducive 
due to their economic structure and the types of businesses they have. Data shows that in 2021, drivers in New York City lost more than three days' time to traffic, while those in Atlanta, Tampa, and Washington, D.C. lost two days. And in Minneapolis, commuters spent 23 hours in traffic last year. Overall, congestion levels in North America were down 14% in 2021 compared to 2019. And at traditional peak hours, traffic dropped 31%. What is not yet clear is if the changes in traffic patterns could be one of the lasting trends of the pandemic or whether it'll go back to normal. It largely hinges on whether remote work continues to be the trend or the norm rather than the exception. So... Kind of interesting there. And a follow-up to story that I, I know that you heard about, uh, what was it, last week? The mayor of Hudson, Ohio, Craig Schubert, made some really interesting comments about ice fishing in his city. You remember? Well, now he is stepping down following comments that he made saying that ice fishing leads to prostitution. City officials confirmed yesterday that Mayor Schubert submitted his resignation. Uh, He went viral last week during a city council meeting about ice fishing at Hudson Springs Park by claiming it would eventually lead to ice shanties for prostitutes. And this exploded online. Everybody was laughing and saying, what is this guy talking about? Uh, And it is now escalated to the point where he has resigned as mayor. I really, is that a, is, is that a, comment as silly as it was is that something that should cost him his job man tough crowds these days uh city council say they uh, respect the now former mayor's decision and wish him the best in the future the council will now appoint a replacement who will serve until a new mayor can be elected in november so wow that is that is just crazy. I mean, a, kind of a silly comment, but should it cost him his job? I don't know. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies today with a high of 35, partly cloudy tonight, a low around 30. The city of Finley has received another big donation towards a planned regional training center for emergency responders. Blanchard Valley Health System is donating $50,000 in support of the facility. Mayor Christina Mearn says the willingness of BVHS to provide a donation in the middle of managing a pandemic validates the community's support for the project. Our first responders deserve and need to have repetitive training. And so being able to have a facility locally that they can do so is really important. BVHS joins a growing list of funding partners for the project with the total amount raised to date approaching $800,000 from public, private, and nonprofit sources. ODOT is reminding drivers to give their snow plows room to work after two more of their plows were hit last weekend. You know, these are men and women who have families at home they want to go home to every day at the end of their work day. And all they ask while they work to keep you safe on the road is that you keep them safe by paying attention when they're out there. One of the latest crashes occurred on Interstate 75 near Beaver Dam when an impaired driver slammed into the back of a plow on Sunday night. See some pictures from that scene on the website. President Biden will be visiting Ohio this week to discuss how the $1 trillion infrastructure law benefits Ohioans. 
Biden plans to make stops in Cleveland and Lorraine on Thursday. The infrastructure package will provide $10 billion in highway funding for Ohio, plus more than $33 billion in competitive grant funding for highway projects. It also provides $60 billion for state and local governments to fund major projects, as well as $1 billion for the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The Finley High School We the People team has won another state title. Our team won the state championship against 10 teams from around the state of Ohio. The team will be competing at nationals April 22nd to the 26th. Teacher Mark Dickman says the We the People team is comprised of students from the high school's AP government and politics class, and the activity simulates experts testifying before congressional panels. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So while we are still in the afterglow of Valentine's Day here, a subject this morning that every couple has struggled with or will struggle with at one time or another as you move from the hearts and flowers stage to the serious relationship stage, the subject of money and finances will come up. And it should, but... How do you broach that subject? What is appropriate to talk about and when? Anna Staples is an industry analyst for CreditCards.com. And Anna, you recently put out a survey on couples' attitudes toward this. And you find out, first of all, that the vast majority do agree that this is, in fact, something that couples should talk about. So put that to bed right now, the idea that maybe this is somehow taboo or off limits. This is something that couples should, in fact, talk about at some point, right? Absolutely, and you're completely right. Most people do agree that this is an important subject and that people should talk about it and ask about it. Um, In fact, 74% of respondents said that um, it's okay to ask about debt and salary when you are going steady, you're dating, going inclusive, or moving in together. But at the same time, it is a taboo subject, and it's also a subject that makes people feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So that's why they may be feeling awkward talking about it or asking about it. But um, talking finances is essential because it's also a set of values, you know, how you save money, how you spend money, all these things should be discussed before, you know, any major decisions about relationships are made. So uh, it's important to know how to do that, and it's important to talk about these things regularly. So uh, the question is, how far do you go? Do you need just a a basic overview, or do you do a deep dive into your partner's financial history? And I thought it was kind of interesting that from the survey, there are some generational differences uh, in the answer to the question of how comfortable people are about asking those questions or being asked those questions. Absolutely. And it's fascinating because Gen Z adults from 18 to 25 years old think that um, it's okay to ask your potential romantic partner about credit score or debt or salary within the first few days. And of course, that's Hmm. not a majority of Gen Z. For instance, uh, for debt and salary, it's 14% of them who are feeling, I suppose, bold enough to to broach those subjects. So very early in a relationship. But if you compare those numbers to, for instance, baby boomers, only 5% of them say it's okay to talk about salary within the first few days. So we can say that, you know, Gen Z are more progressive towards, you know, such conversations. And um, I think it's a great trend because this subject should not be taboo. But at the same time, I understand, uh, you know, people may feel uncomfortable when you broach such such subjects so early 
So I would say they should be broached uh, when you are going steady, when you are starting to make financial decisions together, such as moving in together or saving for something together. And the easy way to do that is to kind of uh, let it happen naturally. For instance, if you're talking about your goals for the future, you can say something like, oh, I am trying to pay down my debt so I can do this goal thing or that goal thing, right? Or I'm trying to pay down my student debt and so far and so forth and let the other person know that they can be comfortable um, uh, and open with you about such matters as well. That is really a good rule of thumb to just kind of let that come up naturally because as you get to the point where you are making those big decisions that involve finances in terms of cohabitating or something like that or leading up to making a major purchase, there are going to be those, those moments where these things will come up just in the natural course of things and of course not to shy away from the conversation when it does which leads to the question how do you have those conversations what do you, you know if there's something that you feel needs to be discussed how do you bring it up in a, a not so awkward way so i think most of these things should come up naturally you know when you're talking about your goals your dreams things that you're going to do together or separately uh, but but in case it does not, you know, for instance, if you feel like the other person is really, you know, uh, avoiding this kind of conversations, mm-hmm. maybe there has to be a bigger conversation about that. And if that happens, you know, if you have to sit down with them, just make sure you are respectful and you are understanding uh, because it is a vulnerable uh, subject for a lot of people. And that's OK to not feel so comfortable talking about it, but just. Uh, make sure they know that you are not there to judge them, but maybe to find uh, some solutions, even if there is a problem, because you need to be aware of these things. And if you have different money styles, if the person you're dating or you have some financial problems, just um, the main thing is to agree whether you want to continue and support each other. And if that's the case, um, you know, create the plan of how you can do that. You know, it's interesting because it also can create some uh, awkward situations when we're talking about just how much you feel comfortable sharing, whereas uh, both partners might agree that, yes, we need to discuss this, but one thinks that conversation should go deeper than the other. I guess the, the other question is, what's the sweet spot? How much do you really have to know to know what you need to know, if that makes sense? I think the more your relationship progresses, the more you need to know. Um, and I think, you know, in some families, of course, people would say, oh, you know, my spouse is managing all the financial stuff and I just don't really want to be a part of it. Um, and um, you should be a part of it. You should be aware of what's going on because, you know, you are a part of this relationship. And uh, uh, if God forbid anything happens to your partner or to your relationship, you should feel like you can manage separately. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you also point out that this is not a one and done conversation either. Uh, fair to say that each time this comes up, it'll probably get a little bit easier to go deeper into that conversation as well. Absolutely. The more regularly you talk about it, the easier it gets because you are already aware of what's going on. So it's easier to kind of stay in touch um, than, you know, try to bring the subject again and again and 
kind of, you know, avoiding it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so, um, and this way you are also becoming a part of each other's financial lives, you know, where you're progressing or what you should be working on. So it really is beneficial for the couples to have these conversations at least monthly to stay in touch on financial topics. And I, I suppose it also goes without saying, but we probably should mention it just the same, We because we do have this tendency to keep our guard up a little bit regarding this topic. Uh, here again, you advocate honesty as the best policy, as they say. Of course, you know, when you are trying to find out something about the other person, you have to be prepared to share as well. It, you know, it goes both ways. And Mm. I understand that, you know, you may be feeling uncomfortable about this too. But again, um, as a couple, you are not each other enemies. You are there to support each other and each other goals and whatever difficulties you have. And I think that should be the approach. Again, uh, Anna Staples, industry analyst for CreditCards.com. Interesting survey on couples and money discussions at various points of their relationship. You have more information about this survey at your website, right? Absolutely. We have more interesting findings as well, and it is CreditCards.com. Because as we mentioned, this is something that every couple will eventually have to wrestle with. Anna, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Last week, you may remember we were talking with the Wall Street Journal's Spencer Jacob about his book on the GameStop stock squeeze and also about that personal financial advisor survey on the dangerous advice of so-called online financial influencers. The common denominator in all of that was financial strategies that come from the Internet and digital investment platforms. But that being said... The digital economy is here, and it is not going away. So how can we take advantage of some of these game-changing technologies and opportunities in our investments and our savings while avoiding the many pitfalls? Joining us is David Laval, Global Head of ETFs, Exchange Traded Funds at Grayscale Investments, the world's first and largest digital currency asset manager. Now, David, first, to reiterate the point that we made last week, even though we highlighted some of the risks that come with the digital economy, that doesn't mean it is a bad thing or something to avoid or be fearful of necessarily. Yeah, that's correct. That's precisely why we brought this product to market, the the Grayscale Future of Finance ETF. But it might be helpful for your listeners to to get a quick primer on on, on ETFs, right? They're some of the you know most innovative you know uh, financial products uh, of our generation, and they're really offering the opportunity for investors to seek you know diversified exposure to uh, you know a broad range of investments, and that's why they've become you know the building blocks of portfolios for some of you know, the largest institutions in the world, uh, as well as, you know, self-directed investors. As a matter of fact, some analysts have described investing in ETFs as being off the charts in this past year. And for yeah. those who might not know or understand, kind of in layman's terms, explain what an ETF is and how popular they have become and why. Yeah, so ETFs, much like stocks, can be incorporated into investors, you know, portfolios and, and can be bought and sold in their regular brokerage accounts. Um, and, you know, I think of the ETF as a wrapper and inside that wrapper could be stocks, it could be bonds, it could be, um, you know, commodities or currencies or a combination of all of those. And again, that's why, you know, ETFs have grown in popularity because of their transparency, 
because of their diversification, uh, because of their tax efficiency. And that's why, you know, investors have been incorporating in them into their portfolios. And that's why they've really been, um, you know, successful since their, their inception. So how are ETFs different from, say, mutual funds that we're all familiar with? Yeah, so um, the difference between a mutual fund and an ETF really lies in the kind of E and the T of the ETF, so the exchange-traded portion of them. So, you know, unlike mutual funds, which don't trade on an exchange, ETFs trade on an exchange and can be bought and sold just like a stock. Um, Additionally, ETFs offer a much higher level of transparency. Um, You can always see what is being um, owned by the ETF. Uh, the transparency of a mutual fund is is less so, and additionally, there's you know much more tax efficiency uh, in the form of ETFs than um, how mutual funds are managed, and so it's really a combination of all of those components that have made ETFs a real success and have really drawn some market share from the mutual fund industry. Now, oftentimes, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit. Now, oftentimes, sure. when when something is described as being off the charts, that means that it's a fad or a flash in the pan that is likely to burn some people as it flames out. Why is this not that? Yeah, so, you know, ETFs have grown in popularity um, because it was originally you know, being really taken advantage of and utilized by, you know, individual retail investors and then financial advisors started utilizing ETFs and incorporating them into their clients' portfolios. And then institutions started utilizing ETFs to, you know, gain exposures and really kind of, you know, build in their portfolios. But look, most recently, as the, you know, pandemic was upon us and the government decided to, you know, really step in and prop up the bond market, where did they go and how did they, you know, a, you know, realize that investment? You know, the government came in and actually bought fixed income, so bond ETFs, as opposed to going in and buying individual bonds. Why did they do that? It was more efficient. There was more transparency to it. And it was much more easy uh, for them to manage that exposure. And so the reality is, while some will call it off the charts, I think it's just been growing in popularity um, at a much faster pace than anyone had ever really imagined. But for us ETFs guys, we always knew that this was coming, um, and it's really just a realization of what we knew um, was a distinct possibility. Now, we talk about the digital economy, and uh, in many ways, it is already here, uh, whether we're talking about uh, 5G technologies that are being rolled out, self-driving vehicles, and there are all kinds of examples of the digital economy, and this is one way many ETFs are kind of uh, wrapped around uh, investing in these breakthrough technologies, right? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. I would say the digital economy is in its earliest phase, uh, despite you know you naming some technologies that would would certainly be incorporated. I like to think of it as you know late '90s internet, and similarly with the digital economy, we're at the very early stages. And so, much like the internet has become incorporated into our everyday lives. We believe the digital economy is going to be incorporated into our everyday financial lives. And so that's why we, you know, have decided to bring the Grayscale Future of Finance ETF, you know, ticker GFOF to market because it allows us to leverage our expertise um, and bring, you know, the battle tested ETF to market, offering investors, 
um, you know, exposure to the digital economy with a great deal of ease and confidence. Now, the uh, comparison that you made to the late 90s uh, Internet uh, in its infancy, uh, again, playing devil's advocate, we know that that led to the dot-com bubble of the early 2000s. So, uh, again, how do we know that this is not that? It's perfect. It's, it's exactly why we built this product the way that we built it. So. The analogy to continue the internet analogy, this would be like investing in, you know, the internet infrastructure in 1995. Mm. I don't have to pick whether Amazon uh, or Google is going to be a screaming success or not. And we all know that there were some winners, but many, many losers. Right. This is offering investors the opportunity to invest in the infrastructure of the digital economy, not necessarily picking one cryptocurrency that may win or lose. This is about taking the under uh, underlying technology and then delivering it in a way that investors can just, you know, have an, an, an infrastructure play as the digital economy evolves and grows. You mentioned cryptocurrency, and in fact, your company specializes in crypto. And here again is something sure. that has been described as very risky and even worthless. So what would you say to convince me otherwise? Yeah, so no one would deny that that investing in crypto brings volatility. No one would deny that there's, you know, regulatory uncertainty around cryptocurrency. But the, the beauty of this product again is it strips out and mutes that volatility and it mutes that regulatory uncertainty because companies that are going to qualify to be included in the Grayscale Future of Finance ETF will, you know, be proving that they have um, you know, met regulatory standards and they're 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 um, companies have, you know, incorporated themselves into the digital economy in a way where they have brought to bear some value to the market and the revenues that are attributed to, you know, the digital economy and are attributed to the infrastructure of the digital economy, um, you know, will incorporate them into the index and therefore will incorporate them into into the ETF. So, you know, this is an opportunity to mute that volatility and to, and to ensure that, you know, you aren't in any regulatory uh, harm's way. You talk about muting the volatility or uh, minimizing the risk. Obviously, I have to point out that as with any investment, there is some risk involved. So where can folks get more information so that they can go into something like this with their eyes wide open? We've maybe kind of hit some of the highlights, but obviously there's a lot more to know. Sure. Yeah, I would absolutely recommend you, you know, consult with your advisor to ensure the investment is appropriate for your investment needs and suitability. But you can learn more about the product at grayscale.com forward slash G-F-O-F. And that's Grayscale with an A. David Laval, again, Global Head of ETFs, Exchange Traded Funds at Grayscale Investments with us this morning. David, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Have a good day. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Authorities in Florida are seeking to identify a woman who threw a temper tantrum after getting caught shoplifting. <laughs> she didn't take it well. <laughs> the Winter Haven Police Department shared video of the woman causing a stir and eventually chucking a Barbie doll at a store associate, uh, cutting her lip when it struck her in the face, pitching a hissy fit and throwing things at people because you got caught trying to steal. They said uh, she fills the cart up with various items to include silk flowers, toys, and some groceries, and then proceeds to the self-checkout 
and scans the items. She lingers for quite a while, even leaving the full buggy and walking to look at other items in kiosks next to neighboring registers. The statement continues. She then walks away with the full cart ultimately being stopped at the door. She is escorted back where she proceeds to argue a lot over (laughs) having shoplifted. The woman proceeds to say, get the get Kim, the manager, get Kim, the manager. She says, I have an employee discount and I get my stuff for free. (laughs) That's a heck of an employee discount. Problem is, uh, there's no manager named Kim at the store, and she's not an employee. So, (laughs) if there were a 100% employee discount, she wouldn't get it anyway. Uh, They still have not identified the woman. I guess she uh, got away. According to the Post, the Winter Haven, Florida Police Department, the woman had green hands and hair, apparently from a recent dye treatment <laughs> green hands and hair alrighty then not be too difficult to spot I wouldn't think <laughs> throw in a fit after you get caught shoplifting well that did, did, would have a tendency to ruin your day I guess how crazy is this story a priest in Arizona is stepping down after he incorrectly performed baptisms, maybe several thousand of them for decades. The Catholic Diocese of Phoenix says Father Andres Arango used the words, we baptize you instead of I baptize you in reportedly performing thousands of baptisms over the years. Just a simple, he said we instead of I, and the diocese explained that that one incorrect word matters because it is Christ and Christ alone who presides at all sacraments. So the statement we instead of I, uh, referring to himself in the, uh, as a conduit for Christ, invalidates all of those baptisms, invalidates them. Uh, Father Arango has since released a statement saying he deeply regrets his error and how it has affected numerous people. That is, that is a, I've heard of a typo uh, as a manner of speaking, but that's pretty serious there. He's had to step down just because he used the word we instead of I in his baptisms. Man, that's a rough crowd. Voters on the island of Nantucket in Massachusetts are weighing a measure that would legalize topless beaches. Uh, Dorothy Stover, a seventh-generation Nantucketer. Is that that what they call themselves, Nantucketers? Dorothy Stover introduced a proposal called Gender Equity on Nantucket Beaches that would allow any person to go topless on all public and private beaches where men, she says, are currently permitted to go topless, but women face up to three years in prison for exposing themselves. Doesn't seem fair. Ms. Stover said that this this inequality... Uh, means some men, uh, this inequality is unfair, and she notes, and this is her argument, it's hard to argue with this, she says, some men have bigger breasts than she does. <laughs> that, is, that, is a, that is an argument that's hard to argue. I mean, that's, that's hard to counter. That, the, uh, 
Amendment to the city charter will be considered at Nantucket's annual town meeting in May. We will follow up. A couple of other items here from the broken news. Police in Michigan say a woman stole... (laughs) They're in search of a woman (laughs) who stole her eighth car from an automobile dealership over the weekend. I would guess not the same automobile dealership. Uh, She's been doing it at different places. I guess the this time the owner of Cal's Auto Sales says a woman came up wanted to take a 2018 Chevy Impala for a test drive on Friday, but did not return. <laughs> That's when they called police. The woman gave the dealership a fake ID, as it turned out. Uh, police have no other information at this time. You're gonna steal eight cars? Would you? Would you pick a? Chevy Impala? I mean, nothing against him. 2018 Chevy Impala. I'm sure it was a very nice car. But you're going to go through the trouble of stealing eight cars. Would those be the cars you'd be stealing? I don't know. And uh, maybe because they're inconspicuous. And finally this morning, a sad story in the broken news. A dog in England is living proof that Valentine's Day heartbreak doesn't just apply to humans. Recently, an animal shelter in Kent put together a party for Luke, the dog, to celebrate the holiday since he has lived alone at the shelter for over 200 days. And wouldn't you know it, no one showed up. They held a party for the dog and no one showed up. The staff believes Luke has not been adopted yet because he has a he has very nervous personality. Uh, the shelter's manager says, despite some quirks, though, the dog has so much love to offer the right person. She said Luke is not perfect. But then again, who of us are? And he is absolutely worth it. Here's hoping hoping that uh, Luke finds a home very soon. Man, that's terrible. You hold a party for the dog, no one shows up. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Yesterday, of course, was Valentine's Day. And for generations of Americans, Valentine's Day kind of holds a special place. I mean, from the time that we were in elementary school, when we uh, made our Valentine's Day boxes and we uh, had the uh, little Valentine's Day cards we uh, sent to every every member of the class. Everybody had to ha- have their valentines. You picked out your your valentines that you wanted to send to each person uh, in the class, and it, we just kind of grew up with this. It was a a tradition. It was a uh, beloved part of the the year. It was you know obviously it's not tied like Christmas or Thanksgiving or something like that. But Valentine's Day has always been kind of special for generations of adults uh, or generations of Americans starting from when we were kids and continuing into the point where we're adults. But would you be surprised to learn 
that Valentine's Day may not hold that same special place that it once did for younger adults. A new survey shows that most singles these days, younger singles, are not playing along. They're just not. Uh, The survey was actually commissioned ahead of Valentine's Day from the dating site Plenty of Fish. Found that just 19% of single people planned to go out on a date on Valentine's Day. 19%. And 26% intended to spend the day loving themselves. We're going to love ourselves. The uh, poll of 2,000 singletons in the Generation Z and Millennial Age group noted that 23% might be alone romantically speaking, but they won't be lonely. Uh, they uh, They are spending or they plan to spend Valentine's Day with friends, just as a get together with friends, kind of like the Friendsgiving thing that is become very, very popular. Uh, 42% in the survey said that they plan to go out to eat uh, or go out for a drink or two, um, but with friends instead of a romantic partner. 26% said that they planned on spending the day showering themselves with love, with self-care routines, and so on. And while 43% of the singles in the poll say that Valentine's Day should embrace not just romantic love, but the love of family and friends as well, 35% did hope to hook up with a single friend to celebrate the day. So there you go. The mindset of uh, Valentine's Day among this up-and-coming generation of singles. I don't know. It's actually sad to see that it's just not doesn't hold the same place in their heart, as it were, as it did for... Uh, generations prior but it is what it is i guess well the fort finley playhouse is back with another community theater production opening here really soon it is escarama in the moonlight and uh, joining us is uh, patrick davis from the uh, cast and director uh, georgia during and uh, thanks very much for dropping by first of all we appreciate it welcome to uh, to both of you I have to admit, this is one. Uh, this is a show that I am not uh, altogether familiar with. Uh, oh, so. this is this is what I like to call theater for people that hate theater. Oh, okay, if, all right. How so? Pe- if people are sick and tired of their wife dragging them to the theater <laughs> to see a show where they have to learn a lesson <laughs> and they have to have morals, and this is the one to put it all out the window. Okay, this is, this is the show. If you're an adult. And it's you're fifty plus years old, and you still laugh when somebody passes gas. <laughs> this is the show for you. All right, okay then. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this uh, about this show, the history of it, the uh, kind of the uh, plot synopsis, if you will. The show is written by Jeff Daniels, the actor. Uh, he's he and his family live up just north of Detroit, up Chelsea. Okay, and he wrote this oh about twenty plus years ago. Um, and pretty much as soon as it went out for uh, community theater, mm-hmm. we put it on the first time down here. Yeah. Um, so Georgia and I have been doing this show for the last almost 20 years. And it is fun watching it go from where we were to now. It takes place up in Escanaba, Michigan, which is up in the... Upper Peninsula, the UP, the Upers. Mm-hmm. It's a and celebration of Uper. It is the celebration of Uper life. And 
this year, if my character, Ruben Sodi, does not get a buck this year, he becomes the oldest Sodi in the history of the Sodi clan to never bag a buck. Now, as it said, if you're just another ear-lopping, fudge-sucking, apple-knocking troll down below the big bridge, that's no big deal. <laughs> but if you're a youper and up there and you go that long without hanging a buck on the buck pole, well, you might as well just have a streak of yellow running right down your back. <laughs> so we're doing everything we can to make sure that Reuben gets a buck this year. Okay. And mysticism and porcupine urine and all sorts of things all get involved here. Uh-huh. And Georgia, it strikes me that this uh, is not the most challenging uh, uh, show to direct. Um, <laughs> With Patrick, you, Patrick, you, you would be wrong. <laughs> Patrick, yes. it seems like, makes this uh, rather easy. Patrick uh, does make it easy, but he's done this four different times now, so he's... <laughs> He's getting his uh, character down quite well, but it, it is very difficult to have that Upper Peninsula accent we're finding out. Um, we seem to go south yeah, a lot. That's, that's true. They <laughs> yes, are, we, they are very unique. Uh, it is. They are a very unique crowd. Patrick, are you, do you spend time in the, in the UP? I've been there a couple times, um, mm -hmm. more time in my mind than, than <laughs> in the land. <laughs> little uh, research yeah yeah oh, research there this yeah, is the role. this is very interesting uh it's we did a lot more research the first time when we did this when the majority of the cast was still drinking heavily and <laughs> now that we've got 20 plus years and i've got 17 years of sobriety and it makes it a little more difficult. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you can still channel but, that oh, inner you. I'm still channeling very well. Yeah, it's it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, come see the show. You're gonna laugh. You're gonna cry. You're going to be surprised. Um, you might be mildly nauseated. <laughs> um, <laughs> So how long how long have you been working on this show? How long does it take a show to something like this to put together? Uh, we have about six weeks okay. before the opening of a show from the time it starts. That's set build, set painting, everything, mm -hmm. plus the actors all learning their lines and figuring out what they're doing. And on the stage. accents, and, accents, and, yes, uh, all of that. Because this is yes. this is one of those shows that you want to that you want to get right. I mean, you were talking, Patrick, about how this is not your your typical show, but at the same time. This is one you really want to get oh, right. Oh, you want to get this. this one here right, because yeah. otherwise, otherwise you're just going to sound absolutely foolish, and you don't want that, don't you? Know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the what is the size of the cast for the for this one? I'm just curious. Yeah, we is have there... five men and one very short female part in the show. Okay, but, uh, oh, she's so, about yeah. five eight. So yeah, well, you're right. She is five eight. <laughs> so a small, uh, a small, small cast. cast. Yes, so small cast. kind of uh, intimate. We've always talked about how uh, the Four Finley Playhouse is a great place to see a show because it's so uh, intimate. When you have a smaller cast like that, that yep. kind of adds to that intimacy. I would Absolutely. Imagine. Yeah, you're going to be right in the middle of it at, the, at this show. It's a good show for that. Yeah. Uh, so give us all of the uh, details on this. Uh, you open on the 24th, right? Correct. February 24th to the 27th, March 4th to the 6th. Um, tickets are available by calling Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 567-525-3636. Or you can go to fortfinleyplayhouse.org. 
And uh, th- this it strikes me, this is probably uh, more of a an adults-themed uh, show, or is this a good family uh, thing? I would think probably not There's, for the little kids. I would not say little kids, but... Your early teens are still going to okay. enjoy it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's nothing that is offensive mm-hmm. in the show. Um, really, no language. No, I mean, no, no language whatsoever. So, language yeah. is not a so. problem. No basic themes. It's so we going to do, to take the uh, older kids, just yep. the whole family. Absolutely, they're going to have fun. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and again, the uh, tickets are on sale now. Right? Absolutely. Yes, they are. Mention uh, as well that, again, this is just the uh, latest in uh, the uh, season of shows, the uh, Fort Finley Playhouse, and always uh, looking for new folks to join in the fun because, uh, as is pretty evident, you guys have an awful lot of fun. Oh, these, we do uh, enjoy on. it. We do enjoy it. Tell people, check fortfinleyplayhouse.org. Our auditions times are on there. The season schedule is on there, all announcements. In fact, if you just want to go back and look at pictures of past shows, that's on there as well. And whether your passion is uh, on the stage or behind the scenes, always uh, something that uh, folks can do, because it is a true community theater. It is. We have our set dresser for this show has turned a 42 by 20 foot stage into a UP gear cabin. Log cabin and all right there. It, it's beautiful. That is it's going to be a great uh, show. Escanaba in the moonlight. Uh, it is. I try and get that. Uh, in the moonlight. Uh, get that uh, accent, that duper accent there. Uh, latest community theater production of the Fort Finley Playhouse. We have a link up at our webpage for more information about it and how to get tickets. And again, uh, Georgia Juring and uh, Patrick Davis with us uh, this morning. Uh, the cast and crew, thanks very much for dropping by. Look forward to a, a great show. Thank thanks you for having us. us. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the program at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. So check it out, our little corner of the World Wide Web at goodmornings.net. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.